Well, hello, and welcome to the Chess Journal Podcast, where each month we host a discussion with the authors of important articles from the current issue of the journal, adding context and commentary to the challenges facing clinicians in the fields of pulmonary, critical care, and sleep medicine. To introduce today's topic, here's your host, Dr. Gretchen Winter. On behalf of CHESS, I would like to welcome you to this CHESS Journal podcast. I am Dr. Gretchen Winter, and I'm your CHESS podcast moderator. Thank you all for joining us today on what will be a fascinating discussion on prophylactic anticoagulation in COVID-19. We are fortunate to have Dr. Charles Takar as our guest, who is the first author on a paper in the June 2021 CHESS Journal, Impact of High-Dose Prophylactic Anticoagulation in Critically Ill Patients with COVID-19 Pneumonia. Dr. Takar is an anesthetist and intensivist in the Department of Anesthesia and Intensive Care at the Strasbourg University Hospital in France, and he is also a member of the French Working Group on Perioperative Hemostasis. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Takar. Thank you very much for inviting me to the recording of this podcast, and I'm really glad to be here today with you. Of course. So to start with, why did you decide to research this topic? What prompted you specifically to look at prophylactic anticoagulation in patients with COVID-19? Well, at the beginning of 2020, France, and particularly the eastern region, was hit by a strong first epidemic wave of COVID-19. We started to see a lot of patients with thrombosis, uh, especially pulmonary embolism. And in intensive care units, we also saw a lot of unusual catheter thrombosis and filter clotting. At that time, the thrombotic risk associated with COVID-19 was poorly described, and we did not expect such a high thrombotic risk. Many physicians began to empirically increase the dose of prophylactic anticoagulation but each intensive care unit had its own protocol. So together with the French working group on perioperative hemostasis and the French study group on thrombosis and hemostasis, uh, we decided to provide a guidance document uh, in which we proposed a specific anticoagulation protocol uh, with increased dose for COVID-19 patients. So this was risky uh, at that time because uh, we had no scientific data to support our proposal. So right after the publication of this uh, document, uh, we did, decided uh, to conduct a study on prophylactic anticoagulation in severe COVID-19 patients to see if uh, our proposal were justified or not. So what does the data say on the development of thrombosis and its effect on outcomes in COVID-19? Thrombosis and uh, we are talking particularly uh, about venous thrombosis, but uh, we also see arterial thrombosis are quite common during COVID-19 and uh, appears to be more common than uh, we can see in other serious viral infections, such as uh, influenza, for example. A recent meta-analysis showed that pulmonary embolism, which is the, the main traumatic event reported in COVID-19, was present in about 7% of all hospitalized patients and uh, in about 25% of uh, those hospitalized in uh, ICUs. So it's quite common, and thrombosis is associated with the severity of the disease. The more severe you are, the more thrombosis you, you have. 
some of this is also uh, well associated with the mortality. These results only take into account um, macro thrombosis, uh, thrombosis that we can diagnose uh, using CT scan or Doppler, for example. But we also see a lot of microthrombosis, which are widely described in pathological studies. But the real frequency of uh, their occurrence in COVID-19 uh, patients and the contribution of uh, microthrombosis to the severity of the disease, and particularly to hypoxemia, uh, is still under even investigation. Elevated VDIMERS level, particularly seen in the more severe patients, may reflect uh, this microthrombotic process. So can you please tell our listeners your study design? Yes, of course. Uh, we conducted uh, an observational study on severe patients with COVID-19 uh, hospitalized in eight French ICUs. Um, the study spanned the publication of uh, our guidance document. Uh, so we had uh, patients treated with a standard dose prophylactic anticoagulation and others with a high dose prophylactic anticoagulation, uh, which allowed us to, to compare these two groups. Uh, we retrospectively classified the level of uh, anticoagulation for thromboprophylaxis uh, at several time points. Uh, we performed this classification at uh, day zero, day two, day five, eight, eleven, and fourteen, and uh, we uh, we classified this patient into a standard anticoagulation group and high dose prophylactic anticoagulation group uh, using a specific algori algorithm. We also recorded every clinically relevant traumatic embedding event during the 14th first day after ICU admission. We used a propensity matched analysis uh, to generate the pseudo-balanced balance pseudo-population uh, adjusted on demographic parameters such as age, sex, body mass index, and etc., but also on severity parameters such as SOFA score and D-dimers. Finally, we assessed the effect of IDOS prophylactic anticoagulation using a time-varying exposure model, which takes into account uh, multiple modifications of the anticoagulation status. Great. And what did you find regarding the association between thrombotic events and the dosage of prophylactic anticoagulation? We found that uh, high-dose prophylactic anticoagulation was associated with a significant reduction of the risk of traumatic events uh, during the first two weeks of uh, hospitalization in ICU. The longer the time you spend on uh, high-dose anticoagulation, the lower was the risk of uh, traumatic events. We also found that these results uh, remained significant after adjustment for TRO2 FIO2 ratio, uh, adjustment of, uh, on the renal replacement therapy or ECMO, uh, but uh, also when we uh, excluded uh, filter clotting from the analysis or when we were only considering uh, pulmonary embolism. And what did you find regarding adverse outcomes of the use of higher anticoagulant doses? Approximately 7% of patients experience a bleeding complication within the first two weeks of ICU hospitalization. More than one-third of these events were, were occurred in patients uh, under ECMO. And about 20% of the bleeding events were considered uh, as severe with uh, intracranial hemorrhage 
hemorrhagic shock or death. Uh, we used the, the same model as for traumatic events uh, uh, to look the association between the bleeding events and the uh, anticoagulation level, and uh, we did not find a significant association between cumulative exposure to high-dose prophylactic anticoagulation and bleeding events. But we may have lacked the power to see this difference. Interestingly, uh, we found that a low BMI body mass index sorry, was significantly associated with uh, an increased risk of bleeding, which means that weight is important to consider when prescribing anticoagulation. And what does your study specifically add to the prior literature on anticoagulation in patients with COVID-19? What's unique about your study? At the time of the publication, this was the largest study of uh, prophylactic anticoagulation in uh, severe patients with COVID-19, even though it was an observational study. Uh, this study is interesting because we did not just classify patients into two groups according to their anticoagulation at ICU admission. We recorded the level of anticoagulation throughout the first two weeks of hospitalization and based our classification algorithm on what was actually administered. So we considered the effect of anticoagulation by incorporating the anti-tain A activity into the algorithm. This was a practical approach to account for the real life in the ICU where we can see situations change rapidly and some treatment may be temporarily interrupted. Perfect. And can you please discuss some of the limitations of this study? Yes, uh, of course, there is a, a lot of uh, limitation in this study. The, the first is uh, uh, this was an observational study uh, with all its limitations. Despite adjustment for several co-founders, we may have missed some of them, which could, could introduce bias into our conclusion. Uh, in addition, we only recorded even to day 14 after ICU admission to look only at the event strictly related to COVID-19 and not to tools uh, related to ICU itself. Uh, we recently published a small study that showed that while most traumatic events occurred during this period within a median of seven days after hospital admission, most bleeding events occurred later within a median of 10 days after admission. So it's likely, likely, likely that we missed uh, bleeding events in, in our study. We were also unable to associate bleeding events with their respective anticoagulation level in one third of the case. So these bleeding events were not considered uh, in the main analysis, and that's why I said earlier that we may have lacked the power to conclude. Finally, many patients included in our study were lost to follow before, before the day 13, uh, 14. Uh, because uh, of the health system reorganization during the pandemic, we, some of our patients were transferred to another hospital and we were unable to collect their data. And what do you think are the next steps for this research? Uh, the logical next step is to wait for the result of uh, randomized controlled trials on prophylactic anticoagulation some of these have already been published. Uh, the INSPIRATION trial of uh, intermediate dose prophylactic anticoagulation was uh, recently published in the JAMA. Their conclusions uh, do not support the use of uh, intermediate dose uh, anticoagulation in severe patients and thus uh, is different from uh, ours. 
However, the applicability of the results to a population of patients uh, is quite difficult. Despite a high mortality rate observed in their study, uh, around uh, 40%, few of their patients were on mechanical ventilation, and the length of stay in ICU was quite short. So it raised, it raised uh, the question of a possible mismatch between the needs and the availability of uh, ICU resources, and therefore it alters the validity of their conclusion. Preliminary uh, sorry, data from the uh, multi-platform randomized trial, trial on therapeutic anticoagulation in severe patients, also known as uh, ATTACK REMAPCAP on active force studies, uh, were recently published. Um, all these studies were stopped for futility because they didn't show uh, any association between uh, anticoagulation and an improvement in the mortality. But interestingly, uh, there was less thrombosis in the therapeutic anticoagulation group, so their conclusion is not so different than ours. Uh, in addition, many of their patients uh, in the control group uh, were actually on intermediate dose anticoagulation, which may interfere with the conclusion. I hope that uh, further results will come, either to confirm or maybe to refute uh, our findings. And so... As we finish up our discussion, can you please give our listeners a closing thought on what you want them to take away from your study and this discussion? Uh, yes, I think, and I'm not the only one in my uh, in my group, in the French working group on perioperative uh, hemostasis, uh, we think that every patient uh, hospitalized with a COVID-19 should be at least treated by a standard dose prophylactic anticoagulation, but also that there is still a place for uh, an increased dose uh, of uh, prophylactic anticoagulation uh, in the most severe patients uh, in whom the risk is particularly high and only during the acute phase of the disease within the first 7 to 10 days after hospital admission. After that, the thrombotic risk decreases and the bleeding risk increases. Uh, and at this point, the level of anticoagulation should be reduced to a standard level. Great. Well, a big thank you to Dr. Takar for a wonderful conversation on an important topic. And a big thank you to our chess community for joining us. I'm Gretchen Winter, and this is The Chess Podcast. Until next time.